just a couple of things before I um, bring the message. Uh, on the 17th of January, we have so many visitors here in the past several months and some online who have asked, how do we know more about apostles, how we consider the possibility of joining apostles. So we have a lunch in your honor on the 17th of January. Mark that down after the church 1030 service uh, in the commons. So sign up uh, or see Mike Slaughter. He'll be right here uh, right after the service. Talk to him. Go to apostles.org and mark it, and there you will join us and find out where we stand and where we're going. Um, you know, I want to take a moment to thank the Lord, really to, to honor Him and praise Him and give Him thanks. On the 20th of December, 49 years ago, my redhead said, I do. <laughs> thank you. She's been putting up with me for 49 years. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Father, our hearts are full of thanksgiving that despite of all that we've been through this year, we know, but we know, but we know that you have accomplished your purpose and that you are accomplishing your purpose. May you today, this moment, not only for your children who are here in this beautiful sanctuary, but those watching all over the world uh, may get their eyes off of the circumstances and place them directly on you and on our destination. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you follow the global news as I do, on a regular basis, you will know that this thing is not just a mask that we wear, but is now it's a global emblem. It really is a global emblem. I saw heads of states wearing it all over the world, people everywhere, and I'm not going to talk about the mask, I'm going to talk about the symbolism of it. For if you say 50 or 100 years ago, that if you were told that the entire globe, I'm talking about all the globe, all, every country in the world is wearing the same emblem, that would have been hard to comprehend because the world in different parts of the world were doing different things. Even the Spanish flu, there were certain parts of the world never had it. Now, whether it is the virus or the response to the virus, seeing one worldwide reaction would have been difficult to comprehend a few decades ago. Only now do we understand when the Bible talks about the mark of the beast, and that how impossible it is to do any commerce without having an emblem, a global emblem. See, when the Bible speaks 
about something on a global nature would have been difficult to comprehend many years ago, but you do now. When the Bible talks about an acceptable mark worldwide for commerce and for activities, or think about the global economic market that is now so interdependent, that was not a few decades ago. See, none of that would have made sense to the folks who have lived 50 or 100 years ago. There are some passages in the Scripture about the end times and the return of the Lord that would have been difficult to comprehend, would have been difficult to even understand. Only a few years ago, for example, in Revelation chapter 18, when it talks about a global, worldwide economic collapse, you would have to say, what? I mean, Asia is Asia, Africa is Africa. How can that be? The world was not interconnected, but it is now. As we study the Word of God, we read about a number of signs uh, that indicates the nearness, uh, watching my words now, the nearness of the end of times. For example, in Matthew 24, our Lord Jesus Christ said, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached all over the world to every nation, as a testimony to every nation, and then the end will come. Now, when you think about it, I am being watched right now, literally in every corner of the globe, from the Philippines to Australia to Europe to Africa, and we get messages from all over the world right now. That would have been impossible 50 years ago. Among other signs the Bible gives us is the globalization, which prepares the world for the Antichrist. Uh, The increase in knowledge. Knowledge used to double every 150 or 160 years. Now they're doubling every few weeks. Uh, Increase in knowledge. Ethnic tension. The atmospheric change. Certainly it appears that we are the generation that are experiencing all of these signs. Let me say this at the outset. Are you still, if you're listening to me, say amen. amen. So you all are. <laughs> I, I want to make sure you understand this at the outset. I am not, I want to repeat this, I am not one of those stargazers. I really am not. I am not, I want to repeat, I am not advocate or ever advocate, and I'm going to show you why that's not biblical, ever advocate selling everything, putting on white robes, and head for the mountains. That would be absolutely contrary to the Word of God. That would be absolutely contrary to what Jesus said. The Lord Jesus tells us that those who truly, truly believe in the imminence of the return of the, of the Lord are compelled to work longer and work harder than ever before. We are compelled to do more and accomplish more and give of ourselves more and not hide or just say, well, your God is coming back, so I'm, Jesus is coming back, so I, I, won't, I won't work. <laughs> Jesus did not Repeat, did not, did not say, 
sit around and do nothing till I return. He did not say that. Or become a naval gazer. A lot of naval gazers these days. Until I return. No, no, no. He said, and the old translation said, occupy till I come. This is not occupy like those hooligans occupying parts of cities. <laughs> the word occupy was translated from the Latin, which means work your hardest till I come, until I return. It means that every business deal we get into, it is to, we make the deal with the desire to honor Christ. It means that every relationship I build is motivated by honoring Christ. It means that every service I offer is motivated for the honor of Christ. It means every decision that I make is motivated by how am I going to glorify Christ. It means that every dollar that I give is motivated of how it's going to bring glory to Christ. Jesus himself repeatedly said in describing what will take place at the rapture. The rapture is, the rapture is a, it's come from the word the Apostle Paul said, we're going to be caught up. And again, it's another Latin word. He said, two will be working in the field. What will they be doing? Working. <laughs> and the believer is going to get caught up, and the unbeliever stays behind. If Jesus' return returns today, how will he find me? I can tell you without any apologies. He's going to find me diligently working. He's going to find me faithfully serving. What will he see us all doing, those who claim to love Christ and love his appearing? Will he find us to be good stewards or careless? Will he find us to be bogged down in trivia or building up his kingdom? Will he find us uh, building believers up or tearing them down? I can go on and on and on, but I won't. There's so much talk today. I see it in the social media about the return of Christ. I don't know whether you see the same things. I really do. I see it. And yet it really grieves my spirit when I read that the average believer, the average Christians, now this church is not the average, you know that and I know that, but the average Christians, they give less than 2.6% to the Lord. During the Great Depression, they were giving 3.7% to the Lord. Think about that. So all that talk is just talk. If you really love the return of the Lord, if you really love His appearing, you should be all in. Can I get an amen? amen. If we're going to occupy till He comes, then Jesus compels us, and He motivates us to work as harder, or if not harder than any other time before. Not less. In fact, reminding me of a story of how I was thinking about how people can take their eyes off the ball and how they get distracted instead of really serving and working hard for the return of the Lord. They keep their eyes on the clock, 
And you know, a lot of people are, and now you get into this uh, 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 charts and who's going to, who's what and who's where, and, and, and they just get all bogged down, and they, they literally get their eyes off Jesus and off the gospel and off sharing Christ with the lost. And this is a true story. It took place in 1987. The reason I remembered that story when I read it some years ago is because that is the year that this church was birthed, 1987. And it was the NCAA regional final. LSU was leading Indiana by eight points. Eight points. And only a few minutes left for the game. A few minutes. As often the case, with the team that's ahead, LSU began to play a different ball game. Even the TV announcer pointed out, he said, LSU players are beginning to watch the clock, (laughs) and they're playing a different game. As a result of this shift focus, Indiana closed the gap and won the game by one point. And they went eventually to become the NCAA champions. And I go from the ridiculous to the sublime. I want you to listen carefully. When we see clear signs of the return of the Lord, let us not look inward. Let's not get preoccupied with with the clock. (laughs) Let's not lose focus of His kingdom here and now. We has placed us where we're supposed to serve Him with every ounce of our energy. Now, most of you know this. Certainly, my family and, and my friends know this. I work longer and harder now than I ever worked before in my life. When my friends will say, why don't you now at your age just go back to the beach and put your feet up? They're nuts. <laughs> they're absolutely nuts. I love them, but they're nuts. Listen. I want Christ, if He returns in my lifetime, I want Him to see me working harder than I've ever worked before. Listen to me. The reason I'm spending this much time introducing the subject, because I haven't got to the subject yet. I'm just introducing the subject. (laughs) Some of you are already panicking, but listen, don't panic. (laughs) But I'm spending so much time talking about this Because I deeply care, I really deeply, only God in heaven knows how much I deeply care for the 21st century church to get it right, to get it right, to get it right. Being ready for the return of Christ means my prayer focus is on what is near and dear to His heart. My preparation is for eternity. My maximizing my, of my influence is for His glory. My greatest investment is for what is eternal. And during this Advent season, if you're visiting with us today, we began during this Advent season looking at why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. It's one thing to say it's the most wonderful, but why? And the first of all, we saw The reason it's the most wonderful time of the year, because on that first Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven so that He may take away our sins. 
Secondly, in the last message, we saw from 1 John the reason Christ came to our earth from heaven so that He may destroy the works of the devil. If you were not here, download them from apostles.org or leading the way. Just download the messages because they all go together. And today, the third one, I'm going to show you that the reason, one of the reasons why our Lord Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, why He came to our earth, is because to prepare the believers for His second coming. To prepare the believers for His second coming. In John 14, 3, Jesus said, I go to the Father, and I prepare a place for you. Then I'll come back and take you with me. Now, please, 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 please don't miss what I'm going to tell you, okay? His first coming was like a down payment. His second coming is like the closing time. (laughs) His first coming is like a couple who are madly in love and they become engaged. The wedding is his second coming. Uh, The first coming of Jesus is like entering school, but graduation day is his second coming. If you got that, say amen. See, when Jesus came into the world, born of a virgin, died on a cross, a criminal's death, and rose again on the third day with his omnipotent power, ascended into heaven, he invited men and women, boys and girls, to believe in him, to repent of their sins to accept His death on the cross to be the payment of their wages of their sins, uh, to, to live for Him. That's what He did. Let me put it this way. When you come to Christ, you are invited, or like being invited by someone to go on a plane ride. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I had my fair share of plane rides. 66, 67 times around the world, I'm telling you, I've experienced everything on a plane ride. I know that on that plane ride, and those of you who are in the plane, you'll understand what I'm talking about. The plane ride sometimes gets bumpy. Um, it sometimes the trip feels long. <laughs> Other times the plane is so uncomfortable. I remember many 14 hours nonstop from the West Coast to Hong Kong. I've done that I don't know how many times in the, early, in the 70s and the 80s, sitting in the back like this the entire 14 hours. It's uncomfortable at times. There are many turbulence in the air. I remember one time we're going over the coast of Japan, and, 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 and I did not know this. It was my first time that this is just renowned for being turbulent. And, and, and I remember confessing sins I've never even committed. <laughs> I thought, that's it. I, so I just confessed everything. <laughs> there are many times there are air pockets that causes us to get air sick at times. There are many near messes in the air time, in, 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 in the air at times. Oh, my goodness, there are obnoxious passengers at times. And, and we have them in the church. <laughs> there are obnoxious passengers on board. There are passengers who drive you inst- insane. <laughs> the destination 
is what's your focus. And if the destination, not the trip, is your focus, if the destination is your aim, if the destination is your vision, if the destination is your ultimate goal, if the destination is the totality of your purpose for living, then you would not let any of these things inconvenience you. You will not, get them, you'll not let them get to you. You will not let the discomfort and the trouble get to you. You will not let the temporary aggravation <laughs> affect you. You will not let the air sickness deter you. You would not let the danger scares you. Why? Because your destination is your eternal home, and that's your ultimate hope. And I want to tell you, when that is the case, you will even enjoy the ride. I can tell you, as God my those of you who read my book, Trust and Obey, you know, I've been through a lot, and, and I dare say that as long as we live, we're going to go through a lot. But I enjoy the ride. I've been enjoying the ride for 55 years. Here's the problem. And this problem, listen to me, is going to be magnified in the years to come. I pray to God that I'm a false prophet. <laughs> you never heard me say this. I pray that I'm a false prophet. But here's the trouble, and, and it's going to be magnified in the coming days. If you begin to think that the plane ride is it, you will be miserable. If your focus is only on the ride instead of the destination, you will get easily irritated, frustrated, agitated, and aggravated. If your focus is on the plane ride and not on the destination, you will be discouraged and disappointed, I promise you. If the total fo- your total focus is the journey you will go from turmoil to turmoil with only a brief respite in between. <laughs> Listen, I want to make you a deal. I really want to make you a deal today. Whether you're young or old, doesn't matter. I'll make you a deal. In the Middle East, we make deals. We bargain for everything. But there is no bargaining here. I'm just making you the deal. Here's the deal. If every time you experience pain along the journey, focus on your destination. I promise you, it will lift you up. For if every time you find yourself overwhelmed with the turbulence on the journey, focus on the destination, I promise you, you will experience the glory of a smooth ride. Every time you find yourself experiencing air sickness and discomfort or despondency, try to focus on Beulah Land as your ultimate destination. I promise you, you will soon find yourself gliding on the surface. If every time you find yourself feeling that you're about to crash, the plane is about to crash because of the crosswinds of life, 
Begin to focus on your ultimate destination. I promise you, you will soon soar above the clouds. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, beloved, the trip is only meant to last for a short time, but the destination is going to be forever. It's going to be forever. The trip is only a means for your destination to glory land. For Jesus came from heaven on that first Christmas so that He might prepare the believers for His second coming, for His second advent. Listen, don't you feel sorry for those people who want to save the planet? Don't you really feel sorry for them? I really… I, I am genuine about this. God knows my heart. I, this is not a put-down. I, I, I genuinely feel sorry for them. Uh, listen to me. I, I, my family would tell you, I've been a conservationist before these jokers were ever born. <laughs> I really have. And, and, and those close to me know this. I'm very, very I'm much of a conser- conservationist. But their fa- fanaticism about this is because this planet is their goddess, and they worship it. You see, don't you feel sorry for the people who have no thought of the second return of Christ? Don't you really deeply feel sorry for them? Those who say, oh, the second coming is only Paul's figment of Paul's imagination. Really? Well, I'm going to show you right now. That was never a figment of Paul's imagination. In John 14, years before Paul was converted to Christ, Jesus said in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you, then I'll come back and I'll take you with me. When he said that, Paul wasn't even, wasn't around. When Jesus was lifted up to heaven before the eyes of 500 eyewitnesses, they saw him on the Mount of Olives rising up to heaven. In the book of Acts chapter 1, Years before Paul was even converted to Christ. In verse 11, this was 40 days after the resurrection. In verse 11 of chapter 1, the book of Acts, it says, The angel said to them, This same Jesus is coming back in the same way you saw him going up. Paul only repeated what he heard from the apostles and the eyewitnesses who were there at the ascension day. And that is why he could say, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangels and with the trumpet of God. You know, through the years, people really speculated on what the shout is. They always speculated, so if they did, might as well let me speculate a little bit, okay? I'm speculating here, okay? Don't take that as the Word of God. That's a speculation. You know what I speculate that shout is? Enough! That's going to be enough suffering, enough fear, enough worry, enough death, enough sickness, enough diseases. Enough is enough. Glory to God. Whatever the shout is, I'm going to hear it. Because whether I'm coming back with Jesus, with the saints, or here on earth, it doesn't matter. I will hear it. I'll be exceedingly glad. Listen to what Jesus' half-brother James said in James 5, 7. 
Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.13. Be sober. Set your hope firmly on the grace that is coming to you at the return of Christ. Listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. But you know. Now, actually, it's we. It's we know. Odio. Odio is, is, a, is, is a word for we absolutely know for certain. We know when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in him or her purifies himself as he is pure. Listen to another half-brother of Jesus, Jude. Listen to what he said. Beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And they tell you it's a figment of Paul's imagination. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Now, by the way, I heard with my ears a preacher saying the second coming is Paul's figment of imagination. I'm not making the stuff up. I am talking. I know what I'm talking about. Jesus shall appear the second time. That's Hebrews 9. Not to deal with sin. Another translation said not to bear sin because he bore our sin on the cross already in His first coming. But the second time, He's going to rescue us who are eagerly awaiting Him. Now, beloved, listen to me. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the sentimentality of Christmas and the baby in the manger and gifts and all that stuff. It's so easy to get so wrapped up at Christmas, to get so twisted to make Christmas whatever you want it to be. In fact, there's a commercial out there, Christmas is what you make it to be. Really? It is so easy even for believers to say, yes, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus came to save us. Save us from what? Hello. Yet His second coming is inseparable from His first coming. Did you get that? His second coming is inseparable from His first coming. In His first coming… He bore the gravity of our sin upon the cross. Our sins burdened Him. Our sins grinded Him. Our sins crushed Him. Our sins caused Him to feel deep, deep sorrow. Our sins caused Him to humble Himself even to a death of a criminal. Our sins caused him to bear betrayal. Our sins caused him to bear denial. Our sins caused him to carry all of our anger on his holy body. For make no mistake about it, that baby of Bethlehem was the Creator God. Make no mistake about it, that baby born in Bethlehem was God entering into human limitations which caused by sin. But praise God, praise God, praise God. It is not, it's not going to be that way on His second coming. Praise God, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be like that. And His first coming, 
He entered into our world as helpless, poor babe in a manger. But on His second coming, He will return with all of His wealth and glory. On His first coming, He became lonely and rejected. But in His second coming, He will return with millions of believers who have departed, the faithful believers who have gone to be with Him. On that day, those who love Him (laughs) will love His appearing. Those who have joyfully endured the plane ride, (laughs) those who have diligently worked and waited for Him, those who have been filled with expectations of His return, they're going to be filled with joy unspeakable. And I pray to God, not one single person at the sound of my voice, not one single person at the sound of my voice would not be looking forward to the return of Christ. I pray to God that everyone who knows Jesus love His appearing. Listen to me. It's not going to be like His first coming. His second coming is going to be very different from His first coming. You see, in His first coming, He held a reed as a form of mockery in His hand. But in His second coming, He will be holding His scepter of the universe in His right hand. In His first advent, He was crowned with a crown of thorns. But in His second advent, He will be wearing the crown with many diadems. In His first advent, He was forced to wear a purple robe of mockery. But in His second coming, He will come robed with the splendor of His Father. In His first advent, He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. But in His second coming, He's going to wipe all of our tears and all of our grief. In His first advent, He came in humility. But in His second advent, He will come with power and great glory. In His first advent, He hung on a cross helplessly. But in His second advent, He will be sitting on the throne of judgment. On His first coming, in His first advent, He was a victim. But on His second advent, He will be the supreme victor. On His first coming, they spat on Him and they slapped Him across the face. But on His second coming, His enemies are going to be His footstool. In His first coming, He was mocked. They mocked him, and they dragged him on all the streets of Jerusalem. But on his second coming, he, the blasphemers and the deniers, they will be sentenced to eternal judgment. In his first coming, he was forced to bow his head. But in his second coming, every head will bow in reverence to him, and I can't wait. In Hebrews 9, 22 and 28, the Word of God says, It is appointed unto man, that's men, women, everybody, every human being, that's what it means, to die once, after that the judgment. There are no reincarnations. Die once, after that comes the judgment. Then he continued, So Christ also, having been offered to carry our sins and the sins of many, shall appear a second time, not to bear our sin, but to deliver us and to deliver His own who are eager for His return. The question is, are you eager? Are you eager for His return? Are you eager for His return? I believe these masks, 
that we wear, and I wear them, or the vaccine that we will need to have if we want to travel, all that, all that stuff is just the preparation of the world for the rule of the Antichrist. Let me tell you something. The Bible makes it clear that when the Antichrist starts ruling, that means the return of the Lord is really soon, because the Bible said He's going to come and He smite Him right in the middle of His reign. Right in the middle of His reign, He will mock Him, and He will be mocked around the world. Now, beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm getting close to the end. The plane ride is almost over, and we're getting ready to land. Are you recognizing and organizing and planning your life for the destination? Are you keeping the destination in mind in all of your plans, or are you bogged down in the journey? You bogged down in the journey. I think it was William Carey, the founder of the modern missionary movement, one of my heroes. And I'm quoting from memory. I, 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 I don't have the exact quote, but he, he said something to the effect. He said, I do not fear failure. I do not fear failure anywhere near. I fear success in doing useless things. You know, and I know that anyone who's selling a property looks forward to the closing day. Any couple who are madly in love and engaged to be married are longing for their wedding day, their marriage date. And my beloved friends, this should be the attitude of every believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of age or a stage. But I'm aware of the fact that somebody may say, Michael, I'm not sure I'm really ready for that. And that's fine. I'm, 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 I'm hearing you because I talk to enough people to know. Even believers have said to me, said, death just terrifies me. I'm not really looking forward with expectations. I have great news for you. I have great news for you. I have a fantastic news for you today. Today, you can affirm your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you can accept the Savior's invitation. Today, you can get on board and begin the wonderful journey, anticipating that our flight will safely arrive home. Today, you can come to Him and place your hope in Him, place your life in Him, place your life's plans in Him. And Jesus said, no, not me, Jesus said, Jesus said, not me, that when you come to Him, not only He will never reject you, but He's going to hold you tight. You can't even get yourself away from Him. Even you can't try. He said, those the Father give me, I lose none. I sometimes imagine our Lord Jesus, when He was saying that in the Gospel of John, He was holding so tight in His hands. No one is Father giving me, I'm going to lose. Today, the door is open, but tomorrow it is not. Today, the invitation is issued. Tomorrow will not. Today, you can begin to live confidently, no matter what happens, what takes place. He's the pilot of the plane. 
He made the plane. He knows every part of the plane. And he's a pilot, and he promised to take the flight safely home. Today you can be assured of your destination if you ever doubt it. And now I'm going to ask, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And all those who are watching around the world, you can do the same thing. And if somebody would say, well, Michael, I'm not really sure. I have placed all my hopes on the flight and the journey, but I do want to focus on the destination. I want you just stand where you are, and I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. Just stand and say, there's, there's no shame in that. There's, I am absolutely not certain. I have doubts. God says, when you come, unashamed of Him, you stand up. He sees from heaven, and He'll answer prayer. Would you stand up? If you want to do, say, Lord Jesus, I want to be totally assured of my eternity with you for, for in heaven forever. Just stand up and sit down. You don't have to stand up for very long. And if you're watching around the world, you can stand up right in front of your computer or right in front of your television set. You stand up and sit down. Stand up and sit down. I can see you. Yes. Stand up and sit down. I can see you. Heaven sees you. That's really what's more important than me. Heaven sees you. Thank you. Stand up and sit down. And I know the Lord will answer our prayer. Father, we thank you that you do not turn down anyone who says, I need your assurance. I need your comfort. I need to trust in your word. Father, I thank you for those who may have prayed for the first time to receive you. Only you, the searcher of the heart, knows what's going on in their hearts. And so I pray right here in this room or watching around the world, Father, in the name of Jesus, let heaven rejoice. As you said, Jesus, one person comes to you and heaven will rejoice. More than 99 who are smug and self-satisfied. Self I thank you, Father, that heaven is rejoicing right now. For I thank you for the promises and the faithful, your faithfulness for your promises. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said amen and amen and amen. Let's stand and sing together.